Welcome to episode 20 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. I'm Isaac. And I'm Albert. And later on, we'll be talking to Dave Aikerman about high-altitude ballooning. But before that, let's look at some news. And first up, uh, the OSMC um, RF remote is now available at uh, Adafruit. This looks really, really nice, doesn't it? It's so simple and elegantly designed. Yeah, it looks like the remote is being sold for $25. Along with the remote, you will get a battery, of course, for the remote control, a, and also a USB receiver, which makes the installation really easy and serves as a receiver for the remote. Albert, I know you're using OSMC. Is this something you've been wanting or you think you'll be using? And For me, no, because what I do is I just use the Kodi app on my phone. Um, but I do know the, these ro- remotes are really, really great. So I, I always have my phone with me, so I, I just use that. But as I said, um, if it wasn't for the fact that we had a whole bunch of different remotes already, so if I just had Kodi as my media server with my PVR in it, then I would definitely go for something like this, something really, really, really simple. Because it just, yeah, it just makes it so much easier to control. And, and all I do use are effectively what this has, which is, you know, the up, down arrows, the select, the fast forward and, and rewind. And that's, I, I don't do anything crazy with the app. So this actually mirrors exactly what I already do. It's great to have that home button because, you know, if, if you're down in the menus because you've uh, gone looking through your library, it's great to just go straight back to home uh, in one press rather than having to sort of step back up through the whole thing. Yeah, and sixteen ninety nine in the UK, I think that's a pretty decent price for it. And I, I would imagine it would work for any Kodi installation, wouldn't it? It's not specific to OSMC. I know that it's it's kind of the buttons are mapped specifically for that, but I would have thought that you'll be be fine using it on other installations of Kodi as well. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. So if any of our listeners do purchase this remote, let us know how that works if you're using it for Kodi or Open Elect versus just straight OSMC and. Also, for our listeners, if you're curious about OSMC and you would like to learn more, then check out episode six, where we talk to Sam Nazarko, who is the lead developer and founder of OSMC. Yeah, I'll stick a link to that in the show notes. And some more news, we have that the Chromium OS for the Raspberry Pi 2 has been launched. So it looks like they've launched a 0.5 version. It's been dubbed Sam Kinson. I don't know why they have these weird names for their versions. The last one had one equally as different. Um, looks like this now, some of the new stuff with this Chromium OS is it now has a new dedicated homepage, includes multiple kernel improvements, which make for faster load times, has uh, video playback been optimized as well, and an improved audio stack and user experience. This still is not available for the Raspberry Pi 3, but I do expect it to be coming out pretty soon considering how fast they rode out from 0.4 to 0.5, so... If you're a big fan of the Chromium OSs for Raspberry Pi, I expect the 3 version to come out pretty soon. Yeah, I tried this out, and I had a bit of trouble getting it set up, to be honest. I didn't have too much time to give to it, but I was trying to connect to my Wi-Fi network, and I, I don't know, it wasn't really working. But I'm sure that, um, you know, this is only 0.5. I'm sure once we get, you know, a, a full 1.0 release, it'll, uh, it'll all that stuff will be ironed out. And Chromium OS, which is the kind of open-source version of Chrome OS is just ideal if all you want to do is get on and surf the internet if you just want to fire up a browser and get going because this is just optimized for only doing that pretty much so i can see on the pi 3 when that comes out as well it'll be a nice little os to to use i think yeah it should be good i mean i i 
I like the idea of having the full Linux desktop, but I mainly find myself, if I'm not coding, just using the web browser. So, you know, in those situations, this is exactly what it is, and this is exactly what it'll do. So, perfect. So, European Maker Week is coming up, uh, the week starting the 30th of May to the 5th of June. And this is a whole bunch of events across Europe where makers can get together and kind of do all the tinkering that quite a lot of people do with the Raspberry Pi. So this looks great. There's uh, all sorts of events here. Yeah, I, th- I think this is great to bring uh, all the makers together. So, you know, as as uh, Joe was saying, there's events all over Europe on this, um, including the big Maker Fair in Rome, which should, be, which should be fantastic to make it to. Actually, in the UK, they've just had the uh, the UK Maker Fair in Newcastle, which, again, Raspberry Pi was very heavily involved in. Um, a lot of the projects being on show. So I expect uh, at a minimum during this Maker Week, we'll see uh, the Raspberry Pi being used for some amazing projects. But also if you're into building things, check to see what's uh, nearby. They, there's a, a nice event map available and you can see what's going on in your local area. And if there's something nearby, at least pop along. If not, look to uh, bring something along yourself. Yeah, there are, I think, over 80 events. And looking at the map makes me jealous that I can't be there for any of these. But I totally agree with Albert. These maker fairs and events are not just strictly for the Raspberry Pi. They're for anything and everything. And I've enjoyed going to any of those in my area. So encourage all of our listeners to check out this maker fair for sure. And my favorite uh, GPIO Zero has been updated. It's now at version 1.2. Yeah, it sounds like there's quite a lot gone into this one. It's uh, significant improvements all around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're some of the big things. If you're into um, home automation, then the Energia boards are uh, now supported directly, so you can program those in there. And then there's some other objects like uh, ultrasonic distance sensors and line-following sensors that have been added in as well. Yeah, it looks like all you need to do is just run a sudo app update and also a sudo app git install Python 3-0, I mean, dash GPIO 0, and you will get that pulled down on your latest version of Raspbian. I don't know if this is for other OSs. I just saw it was for Raspbian, so curious on that one. I haven't had a chance to update this. So, Well, I know it runs in the latest version of Ubuntu Mate, GPIO 0. The previous version is already installed, So, because I've used that in 16.04. Um, so they've put that in there. So yeah, it, 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 I mean, you know, it's, it's Python. It should run on any version as long as it's all hooked in correctly. And I know Ubuntu Mate 16.04 uh, has it in it. Um, they also did a, a really funky thing with this version of GPIO zero where you could map a button to uh, an action. So you can, you, you know, a, a button input could be automatically mapped to another device. So you could say that an LED value equals the button and then you set it once and it'll just keep track of it the whole time. So instead of constantly having to check, you know, if button pressed, then turn on LED, you just say LED equals button. And when the button is high, the LED comes on. And when the button is low, the LED is off. And it, it just keeps track of it the whole time. So it's a really cool way of, of just setting up an action rather than having to constantly check for it. Really shortens down the code and makes it simpler. I think I recently ran into this, Albert. I'm glad you brought that up, dealing with the PIR sensors, how it was just setting them to LED on or LED off. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize what they were doing. I thought it was kind of, well, this is really shortcut-ish, and it's really nice, but I didn't realize this was part of the, the new wrapper idea right here. So, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, they're, they're, in fairness, what they're leaving in there is the the logic that you're creating, and what they're taking out is, you know, whole chunks of code 
that you know you you've already figured out how to do it now it's just the code based type stuff so it just makes it even simpler and easier it makes it easier to understand and easier to use for teaching and also in the news was the creative technologist event at Pi Towers in Cambridge occurred it's actually occurring right now while we're recording this podcast i saw some of this on twitter and I believe some Google Plus stuff, it looked really nice what they were up to. Did either of you have a chance to attend or talk to anybody about what they were might be attending or doing there? No, I didn't, didn't really get a chance. Um, I was running the Eggum Jam today, so I uh, didn't get a chance to travel, which is a pity. I, I ended up with a, well, creating a clashing event because this was the weekend I could do the jam. But like yourself, I was watching Twitter and, and the um, pop-up book with the projected images looked really, really cool. And from the pictures, again, it looks like the other projects were very creative and, you know, and then using the Raspberry Pi to enhance what they were. Um, so it doesn't look like the usual set of, you know, maker tech projects, but an extra layer of creativity has been put into them. So I'm really interested to see the write-ups and the results and what they did and how they did it and how it was received at the event. So, I'm hoping over the next week or so we see um, a lot more detail come out about the projects because they uh, they kept them fairly secretive beforehand. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Albert, because the pictures I saw too on Twitter made it look like not your typical Maker Fair or Raspberry Jam. It was more of a art exhibit almost and people going by and just looking at the exhibits and what they were doing versus... Any of the typical, like I said, Maker Fair stuff. It was a completely different spin. I didn't realize it that I was looking at that and that, you know, that mindset. Who just said that right now? So, yeah, I think you're completely right on that. Yeah, I think that was that was very much what they were looking for was to get the creative people involved. I mean, if you think of the Arduino, the Arduino was originally designed um, to be used by creative people. That that was its purpose. Um, it was to make doing electronics in installations easier um, and the Raspberry Pi brings another layer and level to that because it not only has got the GPIO but with the full Linux stack in there it can do more processing it can be more intelligent in what it does you know you can easily attach things like cameras or USB peripherals to it so your ability to control other things or, or create a, a more in-depth interactive display is even higher with the Raspberry Pi so I, again, in my head, it'd actually be great to to talk to them at some point uh, about what they did and about this program because I I believe they're going to run another course or, or session of creative technologists with a new set of young people. But it'd be great to kind of get the perspective of where their minds were at when they were developing these because it definitely looks like it's more creative than technology, which is brilliant because it's definitely a new angle. Yeah, and that'll do it for the news then. So let's move on to the interview. We are now joined by Dave Aikerman, who is a high-altitude balloonist and Sky Academy trainer. So welcome, Dave. Uh, hello there. So, as usual, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, I'm uh, by profession, I'm a programmer, um, background in electronics. And um, for the last uh, five years, I've been sending latex balloons up into the atmosphere, out of the stratosphere, rather. And how did you get into uh, high altitude ballooning? Uh, someone, I, w- I was interested in uh, photography. That's been my hobby for a long time. And uh, someone on a photographic forum on the internet said, uh, hey guys, you've you got to have a look at this. And it was a, a video, quite a short video of uh, two guys. And they just put um, like an iPhone and a, uh, for tracking and a camera in a polystyrene box and sent it up into the stratosphere. And I thought, first of all, I thought, 
that's a really cool thing to do. I should do that. And second, I thought that's too easy. <laughs> so, um, I, that, that's what started the plan. That was the beginning of 2011. Um, and then as soon as I investigated further, I found that everyone who does it seriously uses radio. Um, because, um, if, if a, um, a payload lands in the middle of a field without uh, GSM coverage, you don't know where it is. With radio, you have your own tracking station and you follow the thing. So that was the most reliable way. And then that brought in electronics and uh, software because it meant I had to write my own, uh, 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 design my own tracker and write the software for it. So then it brought all my interests together. So what first inspired you to start working, I mean, combining the Raspberry Pi with your high L2 ballooning? Well, the Pi came later on, so that was about a year or so after I started. Um, so I'd, I'd done a few launches by the time the Pi came out, um, but they'd just been... Um, uh, there have been photographic launches, so there have been a camera on board, but you don't get to see the, cam- the pictures until the thing lands and you recover it, which once in a while it might land at the top of a tree or in the sea or something, you don't get it back. Um, so I always wanted to have live pictures, which is very difficult with the kind of tracker. I was using Arduinos at the time, and to attach a camera to one of those is, is quite a long job. Um, and then the Pi has a USB port, so back then um, I had the option of adding webcams to the Pi, and that meant I could send photographs down in real time. So I could sit there receiving the telemetry from the payload and watching the pictures come in. So I, basically I had an eye in, in the sky, if you like. So that was a pretty cool thing. And so what kind of software are you running on the Pi to make that possible? Um, it's all written in C, which is um, uh, mainly because the, uh, the Arduino is, is basically C or C++. So the first thing I did was I ported my Arduino code over to the Raspberry Pi. And I think it was something like two hours to port the code and uh, wire up a tracker. So it's very quick just to get something working. And then it was a couple more days to get the, fo- the photos working as well. But so, yeah, it's all written in C. And is the software available for other people to use as well then? Yeah, it's on GitHub, so um, anyone can get it. So they can make their own tracker. Um, also, I've got my own design of tracker, which is the Pi in the Skyboard, so people can buy that, but they can make it themselves. So anyone can just download the uh, PCB files and the software and, and make, the, make it all complete themselves. It sounds expensive to get all of that stuff together. I mean, what kind of budget would you be looking at? Um, you really need the best part of 500 quid to do, to do a flight. So you're looking, the, the pie um, and the parts are about 120, 150 quid. Um, but you need uh, radio receivers, aerials, that kind of thing. Um, you need a latex balloon. You need uh, helium gas. Uh, you need to go and chase this thing across the country. So um, the figure I have in mind, if I had to go and do a flight tomorrow, it's going to cost about 200 pounds in... Uh, Helium, latex, and petrol. Um, but as a first flight, you need about £500. So kind of more suited to a group task than maybe keep people getting together and chipping in, maybe? Uh, yeah, there's. Um, I think most people in, in the UK that do this do it as uh, individuals. Um, but there are lots of groups, uh, school groups. You know, most, most schools could collect £500 by, uh, you know, um, going to uh, begging or something <laughs> but uh, you know 500 pound is not beyond the realms of most people but uh, it's not a cheap hobby either so all this sounds super interesting and before any of our listeners go and just start setting balloons in the sky is there any laws or issues that need to be of concern before they start setting doing this yes i'm glad you asked that um the laws depend on the country but in the uk um you need to apply for permission for the launch from the caa 
so the Syria Aviation Authority. Um, and they've got a standard form on the website which you fill in. You basically say, I want to launch from uh, this location on this day at this time. And they'll, they'll either give you permission um, or they'll say no, because if you're too close to an airport, um, then it's not going to happen. So what are the laws then if you were to set off a balloon and it lands on somebody's private property, is it is it still, I mean, it's your balloon. What, what happens at that point? Or is, do they have to give it back to you? Uh, legally, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's their, their property, you're right. So they, 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 they've, they're, um, they don't have to give you access to it. Um, but in practice, you just go and find the, the landowner. I mean, usually these things land in fields. I mean, we, we run prediction software, so we know they're going to land uh, somewhere away from you know, the centre of London or, or an airport or something like that or a motorway. So you know it's going to be a fairly rural area, but you you, you don't know. But the radius, basically, it could land in is probably about five miles. So you've got um, that area it could land in. It could be uh, next to a, a road on a field. Um, so basically, you just go and grab it in that case. But if it's uh, private property, obviously, then you've got to, you know, best efforts to find uh, who owns it and, and get permission. But really early on with the uh, the Raspberry Pi, um, the launches that you did was definitely kind of one of the the highlights of what the Raspberry Pi was capable of. Did it kind of change your profile or the profile of high altitude ballooning at the time? Yes, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> um, I think what happened was um, if you can combine two th- two cool things, the Raspberry Pi being one and high altitude ballooning being the other. Um, that then the moment that hits, you know, slash dots and the register and all those things, um, it all goes a bit manic. So, um, I, I had, you know, BBC phoning up <clears throat> to ask where my payload was and what happened and everything else. So yeah, that, there's a lot of that. And I, I really didn't realize that was going to happen. And was it, uh, did, did it calm down fairly quickly or did it hang around for a while? I, I thought, um, when I got the gist of, you know, it was going to be a big thing, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll spend half a day on the internet being an internet sensation and it'll die away <laughs> uh, that, la- that lasted a good week <laughs> um and, and then what happens is i get funny ideas like sending babbage up there i mean babbage was just a, an ideal you know he he was exactly the right size to hold a, a model a raspberry pi inside um and he had these two eyes which um I've, i pulled one out and put a raspberry pi camera in there so he he was almost designed for the task so um and then I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to fly him. What else should I do? Um, and I thought, well, the um, Baumgartner altitude record wasn't that high. So maybe I could do that with a bear. You know, instead of sending, spending $300 million, I'll spend $300 and uh, <laughs> see if I can beat the record. Um, and conveniently, his record was, I think, it was 31 meters below 39 kilometers. So, well, that, that, that means if I target 31, 39 kilometers, um, I'll beat him by 31 and a bit. <laughs> And uh, so I did all that. So, um, and the first flight failed because Babbage refused to jump. <laughs> uh, basically, not enough power in the um, in the resistor that melted the uh, nylon cord that's holding him up. Um, so a couple of days later, I did the second flight, and uh, and he jumped. And uh, I actually, it was in a field, and I was walking towards him. I couldn't see where he was, but I had the GPS coordinates. So I had a kind of go-to app on my phone, and I was walking directly towards him. And then this guy from the BBC phoned up and said, hey, Dave, I understand you're chasing Babbage. And I walked right past him because <laughs> I was on the phone. And obviously, I couldn't 
couldn't use the application when uh, when I was talking. <laughs> so I almost shot on him, I think. But, uh, but yeah, that was a that was a fun thing. The other fun thing there was the the um, being a Model A. He had a, one of the old large SD cards, uh, and that came out. So um, on the way down, I think when the parachute opened, it snapped his neck back and oh. uh, loosened the SD card. And we actually had Colonel Panic messages coming down over the radio, which was slightly worrying. But, uh, <laughs> but fortunately, the, the program was robust enough. It just kept, kept sending data as well. So <laughs> we, still, we still knew where we landed. And so at that kind of altitude, it must be very, very cold. Does that not play havoc with the electronics? Um, no, it hasn't yet. The, um, the pie is absolutely fine at those temperatures um i've i did one um as a glider um i mean usually the, these payloads have a lot of insulation um but I've, i did this one which had minimal ins- insulation um and uh and the pie didn't uh, reboot or crash or anything um and the camera itself the pie camera i i put that outside the payload usually and it's absolutely fine um the outside temperatures get down to about minus 55 degrees c um and the pie's quite happy with that. Huh. Brilliant. Uh, one one thing I love is when um, you see the photographs afterwards, there the nearly always seems to be one photograph where it looks like there's a Raspberry Pi logo sort of superimposed <laughs> over it because of some weird lens flare thing. Yes, I don't know what that is, but uh, yeah, I've seen that a lot. And uh, yeah, you're right, it's a lens flare thing and it does look like a massive Raspberry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, with, have you have you done any work with the um, the Pi Zeros yet? Uh, yes, I did fly one. There's one language in the field somewhere, so I didn't bother chasing it. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's not an ideal device because it um, it doesn't have the camera interface on it. So, oh yeah, um, so that's a bit of a shame. So maybe um, maybe the foundation will listen to my pleas because I've mentioned it to them, <laughs> and, uh, and they bring out a zero with a with a CSI interface because that that for ballooning would be perfect. Um, you know, it's a very light uh, device, and yes. uh, you know to get that plus cam- plus a camera would be very good. So I mentioned Sky Academy in the intro. There, can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so um, uh, last year we did uh, Sky Academy, which is one of these Pi Academies that, uh, yeah, it's, it's an intelligent name. It's <laughs> Maybe I'll rephrase that. It's, it's an obvious name. Um, yeah, so basically it was uh, two and a half days um, training 24 people, uh, school teachers and youth leaders and that kind of thing, um, the basics of uh, launching a balloon. Um, now, Bear in mind, my first launch, and I'm an electronics and software guy, so, you know, my, and I've, I've written GPS code before, so my background was very suitable for this hobby. Uh, my first flight was in, uh, I think it was June 2011, and I started the project in February 2011, um, and we had to condense all of that, that down to two and a half days, and get people to do successful flights. So, uh, so that, that was, um, that was a challenge. But yeah, so basically it's, uh, getting these people together, getting, getting the basics of the legalities of, um, ballooning, how the balloons work, um, how tracking works, which is absolutely vital. You've, there's no point letting go of this balloon if you're not going to be able to chase it and uh, get the thing back again afterwards. So it looks like it's a, an official sponsored Raspberry Pi training program these days. Uh, yeah, we did one last year, and hopefully, I'm in talks at the moment, so hopefully we'll do one this year as well. Um, I, I, I know last year's one was oversubscribed, so hopefully it will happen again. Um, and we had 24 delighted, even the, even the team that lost their balloon into the sea, 
because they didn't put quite enough gas in it, even they were happy <laughs> with the experience. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will happen again. And, uh, you know, what better way to, you know, test your high skills than, um, send one up into, into the stratosphere above basically everyone else apart from Tim Peake. Fantastic. And how, how does it work with, um, with the foundation in getting these things set up and organized? Well, we just discussed with them, um, what the course content is or what it might be. And, um, I put the course notes together last time and James Robinson helped with that. Um, that's basically it. We just decide when to do it, invite people and do it. Was there anything that happened on, on the course that you kind of thought we should tweak that for the next time? Yeah, well, you always need more time, and it's a two-day <laughs> course <laughs> um, with a half-day you know, kind of um, recovering after the recovery, if you like. So um, the first day was doing the theory um, and a bit of practice and putting payloads together, and that, there's a lot to squeeze into one day. Um, and then the second day is to go and look at things, and then the third day is to come back and everyone, all the, all the uh, teams uh, that did the launches, they come back and they... they um, uh, tell us how it went and what their plans were for for doing this when they go back to school. Because that's the whole idea: is not just to have twenty four people on a jolly; it's to get them to go back and do this uh, with their uh, with their students. Do the Sky Academy people they get a live feed of their videos as well? No, there's unfortunately there's no video. <laughs> um, the higher the data rate you need, the more power. So to ah. to transmit video down, you need a lot more power than is allowed in the UK. Now, if you go to the States, you can do almost what you want. So there they can have, uh, t- it's essentially TV transmitters, um, on their balloons. Um, here we're limited to 10 milliwatts, which is next to nothing. I mean, it's a uh, 10 milliwatts will light an LED just about. So it's not very much power. Um, we can send pictures down. Um, but one picture t- typically takes about five minutes to send and, th- and it's not a high resolution afterwards either. Mm. So. So no, video is not going to happen, unfortunately. So a trip to the US, out in the middle of some desert, live streaming videos. Yeah, a trip to the US in um, 2017 when the eclipse happens. That would oh, be interesting. <laughs> that'll be good. That'll be good. That'll definitely give a different perspective to what everybody else is getting. Yeah, we did. Um, I did a launch uh, for the BBC this year. Um, sorry, last year. It was last year already, during the eclipse. But um, the eclipse obviously wasn't over the UK. We, we had a partial eclipse, but not a full eclipse, which is what you need. Um, to see a full eclipse from a balloon would be awesome. And uh, that's that's the plan for next year. It, it, is my memory serving me correctly that did you do something with Heston Blumenthal as well? Oh, yes. <laughs> 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 that was a lot of fun. He's such a big kid, which is great, because I am as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was, um, well, I'm not sure what the plan was exactly, because uh, the, the production company seemed a little bit unclear. But um, it was essentially to launch a potato <laughs> um, into space. So Sputnik and all those jokes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, um, he, uh, it's funny, he came along and, uh, he said, oh, I've really been looking forward to this. And, uh, we, the producer said, oh, can you just drive up and down the car so we can get some, you know, driving long shots? So we did that. And then he said, you two don't talk to each other. He said, I, I want Heston to ask questions about the balloon flight in front of camera. And we didn't have a camera in the car at, the, at that point. So I uh, said, okay, fine, fine. So we jump in the car, I said, Heston's saying, oh, I'm really looking forward to this. So Dave, tell me about, no, can't tell you anything. <laughs> uh, right, so how does, no, no, can't tell you anything. And this went on for driving up and down a few times. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, he, he loved it. It was really good. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it landed over in Essex and we, we chased it around the M25 and, and got the thing back. Fantastic. So that, that, I presume that came out of the, the infamy from the Raspberry Pi world. Yeah, I'm not sure ex- exactly how it works, but I guess anyone who comes up with an idea about you know doing ballooning on CV, they're, they're going to go Google ballooning and stuff. And <laughs> there's a fair chance they'll find me if that's, that's the case. But I'm by no means the only person doing this on a, in a kind of commercial basis in the UK. There's definitely others. And I wasn't the first either. You know, just have, I was just the first with the pie. So you, you know, you combine two cool things: ballooning and the pie, and and that's what sent sent um, the interest in. Well, I, I was getting up to uh, stratospheric to coin a phrase. So you recently posted um, a blog post with uh, a B plus double stack with an Astro Pi Sense hat on top. What's all that about then? Yeah, I've been trying to fly that for a, a long time. Um, so. I've built a, built a payload, which is, um, yeah, it's an Astro Pi on top. Um, and then it's got two telemetry boards. So it's got, um, uh, GPS and radio on one. And then there's a second radio, which is a high data rate radio on the other one. So we can send larger images and, and more quickly than, than normal. Um, and then, uh, then I had the idea of uh, flying this during, um, initially I was going to fly it before Tim Peake's uh, launch. Um, up to the space station. So the, the idea was to get people to tweet messages to Tim. And then these would get relayed up to the balloon. And then on the, um, the LED matrix on the Astro Pipe board, it would scroll these messages, you know, good luck, Tim, and, um, all that stuff. Um, and then we'd vid- record that on the video and, um, and send it off to him. Um, unfortunately, the weather, which is the, the worst thing about ballooning is the weather because you just can't. It, it always goes wrong. <laughs> um, we, we we need you know you can't launch if it's too windy, um, and there's not much point in launching if it's uh, you know raining and, and cloud cover everywhere. Um, so so that didn't work out. Then I think I was around business for a while. Um, there was another opportunity which didn't happen, and then it was Tim's birthday a few days ago. I was going to launch, and then the weather changed about two days before, three days before launch. It changed from being okay to being not okay. So it's still not not flown this thing. But yeah, so essentially it's a payload with a, a, an Astro Pi board and tweets on the internet get um, get uh, go through a gateway and they get relayed up by radio to the to the payload. So just looking for the opportunity to make that happen. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, Dave, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show. Uh, if people want to learn more about you and what you're up to, where's the best place for them to, to go on the internet then? Uh, about me? We'll just go go to um, um, daveacherman.com, uh, all one word. Um, if they're interested in ballooning, um, the UK has website, which is ukhas.org.uk, which is just full of information about how to make your own balloon flight, um, there's you know, sample code and all sorts of things. And there's a link there to an IRC uh, chat channel where me and all the other balloonists hang out. And it's not just a UK thing, there's people around the world as well. And uh, any question gets answered there. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll uh, stick some links to that in the show notes then. So yeah, as I said, it's been great talking to you and uh, hopefully speak to you again at some point. Okay, been a lot of fun. Cheers. 
Yeah, that was a really good talk with Dave Ackerman. I've been wanting to talk to him for a while since I first saw his name associated with um, Sky Academy. And just a reminder to all of our listeners, please adhere to the laws of the area you might be in before you start doing any high-altitude ballooning because it sounded pretty serious that David brought all that stuff up. So really glad we had that chance to talk to him. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. As I said, he came along to the, the very first Raspberry Jam that I held. And uh, he did a great talk, so much so I just, you know, I just, I just stayed there listening because he was, he was doing fantastic. And it, there's a lot of detail in there. This he's actually got a lot of uh, electronic design to put into the projects to make them work, and the Pi just makes it so much easier, you know. Um, and he, he's he's great at sharing everything. So if you go to his blog, there's a huge amount of information there to help you. And definitely stick to the laws. I think in the UK, there was a report in the last couple of weeks of uh, people flying, you know, quadcopter drone type things and one of them hitting an airplane. So the last thing you want is you to be the person that ends up on the news because your high altitude balloon hit off something that it shouldn't have. Yeah, it's amazing to think that the pie can go all that way up. You know, we're not talking about just, you know, a few hundred feet. We're talking about right up into the stratosphere. And to think that it goes all the way up there and it still works and, uh, you know, sends back radio signals and stuff. It's really fascinating stuff. Definitely. But with that, we're coming to the end of another Pi Podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepipodcast.com, find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Isaac and Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Bye, everyone. Take care. See you later. <laughs>